This is the Mutual Audio Drama Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. What the Grave Reveals About Life. Today on Chatterbox Audio Theatre. Hi everyone, this is Bob Arnold, Executive Director of Chatterbox Audio Theatre. Welcome back to the podcast. We are now in the home stretch of our 12 shows in 12 months initiative. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you today to bring you the 11th of those 12 shows. And our show today is the second installment of a project that launched last November. Actually, it's been in the works for a lot longer than that, but part one of Spoon River Anthology was released through our website last November. And if you've heard it, then you know uh, that it introduces you to 50 of the residents of the small Midwestern town of Spoon River, Illinois. And they told you their stories from beyond the grave. So there are still lots of stories left in Spoon River to tell. Uh, So today we are back with the second installment with another 50 stories from Spoon River. Stick around after the show and I will be back with a preview of the final show in our 12 shows in 12 months initiative. For now, welcome back to town and enjoy part two of Chatterbox's production of Edgar Lee Masters' Spoon River. Anthology. Chatterbox Audio Theater presents Spoon River Anthology by Edgar Lee Masters, Part 2. Lois Spears. Here lies the body of Lois Spears, born Lois Fluke, daughter of Willard Fluke, wife of Cyrus Spears, mother of Myrtle and Virgil Spears. Children with clear eyes and sound limbs. I was born blind. I was the happiest of women. As wife, mother, and housekeeper, caring for my loved ones, and making my home a place of order and bounteous hospitality. For I went about the rooms and about the garden with an instinct as sure as sight, as though there were eyes in my fingertips. Glory to God in the highest. Justice Arnett, it is true, fellow citizens, that my old docket lying there for years on a shelf above my head and over the seat of justice, I say it is true that docket had an iron rim which gashed my baldness when it fell. Somehow I think it was shaken loose by the heave of the air all over town when the gasoline tank at the canning works blew up and burned Butch Weldy. But let us argue points in order and reason the whole case carefully. First, I concede my head was cut, but second, the frightful thing was this. The leaves of the docket shot and showered around me like a deck of cards in the hands of a sleight-of-hand performer. And up to the end I saw those leaves, till I said at last, those are not leaves. Why, can't you see they are days and days and the days and days of seventy years? And why do you torture me with leaves and the little entries on them? Willard Fluke My wife lost her health and dwindled until she weighed scarce ninety pounds. Then that woman, whom the men styled Cleopatra, came along. And we, we married ones, 
all broke our vows, myself among the rest. Years passed, and one by one, death claimed them all in some hideous form, and I was borne along by dreams of God's particular grace for me, and I began to write, 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 reams on reams of the second coming of Christ. Then Christ came to me and said, Go into the church and stand before the congregation and confess your sin. But just as I stood up and began to speak, I saw my little girl who was sitting in the front seat, my little girl who was born blind. After that, all is blackness. Aner Clute Over and over they used to ask me, while buying the wine or the beer, in Peoria first, and later in Chicago, Denver, Frisco, New York, wherever I lived, how I happened to lead the life, and what was the start of it. Well, I told them, a silk dress and a promise of marriage from a rich man. It was Lucius Atherton. But that was not really it at all. Suppose a boy steals an apple from the tray at the grocery store, and they all begin to call him a thief. The editor, minister, judge, and all the people. A thief. A thief. A thief. Wherever he goes. And he can't get work. And he can't get bread without stealing it. Why, the boy will steal. It's the way the people regard the theft of the apple that makes the boy what he is. Lucius Atherton When my mustache curled and my hair was black and I wore tight trousers and a diamond stud, I was an excellent knave of hearts and took many a trick. But when the gray hairs began to appear, lo, a new generation of girls laughed at me, not fearing me, and I had no more exciting adventures wherein I was all but shot for a heartless devil, but only drabby affairs, warmed over affairs of other days and other men. And time went on until I lived at Meyer's restaurant, partaking of short orders, a gray, untidy, toothless, discarded, rural Don Juan. There is a mighty shade here who sings of one named Beatrice, and I see now that the force that made him great drove me to the dregs of life. Homer Clapp Often Aner Clude at the gate refused me the parting kiss, saying we should be engaged before that. And just with a distant clasp of the hand, she bade me good night as I brought her home from the skating rink or the revival. No sooner did my departing footsteps die away than Lucius Atherton, so I learned when Aner went to Peoria, stole in at her window or took her riding behind his spanking team of bays into the country. The shock of it made me settle down and I put all the money I got from my father's estate into the canning factory to get the job of head accountant and lost it all. And then I knew I was one of life's fools whom only death would treat as the equal of other men, making me feel like a man. Deacon Taylor I belonged to the church and to the party of prohibition, and the villagers thought I died of eating watermelon. In truth, I had cirrhosis of the liver. For every noon for thirty years, I slipped behind the prescription partition in Trainer's drugstore and poured a generous drink from the bottle marked Spiritus Frumenti. <laughs>
Sam Hookie. I ran away from home with a circus, having fallen in love with Mademoiselle Estralada, the lion tamer. One time, having starved the lions for more than a day, I entered the cage and began to beat Brutus and Leo and Gypsy, whereupon Brutus sprang upon me and killed me. On entering these regions, I met a shadow who cursed me and said it served me right. It was Robespierre. Cooney Potter. I inherited 40 acres from my father and by working my wife, my two sons, and two daughters from dawn to dusk, I acquired a thousand acres. But not content, wishing to own two thousand acres, I bustled through the years with axe and plow, toiling, denying myself, my wife, my sons, my daughters. Squire Higby wrongs me to say that I died from smoking Red Eagle cigars, Eating hot pie and gulping coffee during the scorching hours of harvest time brought me here ere I had reached my sixtieth year. Fiddler Jones The earth keeps some vibration going. There in your heart, that is you. And if the people find you can fiddle, why, fiddle you must for all your life. What do you see? A harvest of clover, or a meadow to walk through to the river. The winds and the corn, you rub your hands for beeves hereafter ready for market, or else you hear the rustle of skirts, like the girls when dancing at Little Grove, to Cooney Potter, a pillar of dust, or whirling leaves meant ruinous drought. They look to me like redhead Sammy. Stepping it off to tour allure. How could I till my forty acres, not to speak of getting more, with a medley of horns and bassoons and piccolos, stirred in my brain by crows and robins and the creak of a windmill? Only these? And I never started to plow in my life, but someone did not stop in the road, take me away to a dance or picnic. I ended up with forty acres. I ended up with a broken fiddle, a broken laugh, and a thousand memories, and not a single regret. Nellie Clark. I was only eight years old, and before I grew up and knew what it meant, I had no words for it, except that I was frightened and told my mother and that my father got a pistol and would have killed Charlie, who was a big boy, 15 years old, except for his mother. Nevertheless, the story clung to me. But the man who married me, a widower of 35, was a newcomer and never heard it, till two years after we were married. Then he considered himself cheated and the village agreed that I was not really a virgin. Well, he deserted me, and I died the following winter. Louise Smith Herbert broke our engagement of eight years when Annabelle returned to the village from the seminary. Ah, me. If I had let my love for him alone, 
It might have grown into a beautiful sorrow, who knows, filling my life with healing fragrance. But I tortured it, I poisoned it, I blinded its eyes, and it became hatred, deadly ivy instead of clematis, and my soul fell from its support, its tendrils tangled in decay. Do not let the will play gardener to your soul unless you are sure it is wiser than your soul's nature. Herbert Marshall All your sorrow, Louise, and hatred of me sprang from your delusion that it was wantonness of spirit and contempt of your soul's rights which made me turn to Annabelle and forsake you. You really grew to hate me for love of me, because I was your soul's happiness, formed and tempered to solve your life for you and would not. But you were my misery. If you had been my happiness, would I not have clung to you? This is life's sorrow, that one can be happy only where two are, and that our hearts are drawn to stars which want us not. George Gray I have studied many times the marble which was chiseled for me, a boat with a furled sail at rest in a harbor. In truth, it pictures not my destination, but my life. For love was offered me, and I shrank from its disillusionment. Sorrow knocked at my door, but I was afraid. Ambition called to me, but I dreaded the chances. Yet all the while I hungered for meaning in my life. And now I know that we must lift the sail and catch the winds of destiny wherever they drive the boat. To put meaning in one's life may end in madness. But life without meaning is the torture of restlessness and vague desire. It is a boat longing for the sea and yet afraid. Honorable Henry Bennett, it never came into my mind until I was ready to die that Jenny had loved me to death with malice of heart. For I was seventy, she was thirty-five, and I wore myself to a shadow trying to husband Jenny, rosy Jenny full of the ardor of life. For all my wisdom and grace of mind gave her no delight at all in very truth. But ever and anon she spoke of the giant strength of Willard Schaefer, and of his wonderful feat of lifting a traction engine out of the ditch one time at Georgie Kirby's. So Jenny inherited my fortune and married Willard. That mount of brawn, that clownish soul. Griffey the Cooper The Cooper should know about tubs. But I learned about life as well. And you, who loiter around these graves, think you know life. You think your eye sweeps about a wide horizon, perhaps. In truth, you are only looking around the interior of your tub. You cannot lift yourself to its rim and see the outer world of things, and at the same time see yourself. You are submerged in the tub of yourself. Taboos and rules and appearances are the staves of your tub. Break them and dispel the witchcraft of thinking your tub is life and that you know life. Sexsmith the Dentist Do you think 
that odes and sermons and the ringing of church bells and the blood of old men and young men martyred for the truth they saw with eyes made bright by faith in God accomplished the world's great reformations? Do you think that the battle hymn of the Republic would have been heard if the chattel slave had crowned the dominant dollar in spite of Whitney's cotton gin and steam and rolling mills and iron and telegraphs and white free labor? Do you think that Daisy Frazier had been put out and driven out if the canning works had never needed her little house and lot? Or do you think the poker room of Johnny Taylor and Burchard's bar had been closed up if the money lost and spent for beer had not been turned by closing them to Thomas Rhodes for larger sales of shoes and blankets and children's cloaks and gold oak cradles? Why, a moral truth is a hollow tooth which must be propped with gold. A.D. Blood If you in the village think that my work was a good one, who closed the saloons and stopped all playing at cards, and hailed old Daisy Frazier before Justice Arnett in many a crusade to purge the people of sin, why do you let the milliner's daughter Dora and the worthless son of Benjamin Pantier nightly make my grave their unholy pillow. Robert Southey Burke I spent my money trying to elect you mayor, A.D. Blood. I lavished my admiration upon you. You were to my mind the almost perfect man. You devoured my personality and the idealism of my youth and the strength of a high-souled fealty and all my hopes for the world, and all my beliefs in truth, were smelted up in the blinding heat of my devotion to you, and molded into your image. And then, when I found what you were, that your soul was small, and your words were false as your blue-white porcelain teeth and your cuffs of celluloid, I hated the love I had for you. I hated myself. I hated you for my wasted soul and wasted youth. And I say to all, beware of ideals. Beware of giving your love away to any man alive. Dora Williams When Reuben Pantier ran away and threw me, I went to Springfield. There I met a lush whose father, just deceased, left him a fortune. He married me when drunk. My life was wretched. A year passed, and one day they found him dead. That made me rich. I moved on to Chicago. After a time, met Tyler Roundtree, villain. I moved on to New York. A gray-haired magnate went mad about me, so another fortune. He died one night, right in my arms, you know. I saw his purple face for years thereafter. There was almost a scandal. I moved on, this time to Paris. I was now a woman, insidious, subtle, versed in the world and rich. 
My sweet apartment near the Champs-Élysées became a center for all sorts of people. Musicians, poets, dandies, artists, nobles, where we spoke French and German, Italian, English. I wed Count Navigato, native of Genoa. We went to Rome. He poisoned me, I think. Now in the Campo Santo, overlooking the sea where young Columbus dreamed new worlds, see what they chiseled. Contessa Navigato, implora eterna quiete. Mrs. Williams. I was the milliner, talked about, lied about, mother of Dora, whose strange disappearance was charged to her rearing. My eye, quick to beauty, saw much beside ribbons and buckles, and feathers and leghorns and felts, to set off sweet faces and dark hair and gold. One thing I will tell you, and one I will ask. The stealers of husbands wear powder and trinkets and fashionable hats. Wives, wear them yourselves. Hats may make divorces. They also prevent them. Well now, let me ask you. If all of the children born here in Spoon River had been reared by the county, somewhere on a farm, and the fathers and mothers had been given their freedom to live and enjoy, change mates if they wished, do you think that Spoon River had been any the worse? William and Emily. There is, there is something, something about death, death like, like love itself. If with someone with whom you have known passion and the glow of youthful love, you also, after years of life together, feel the sinking of the fire and thus fade away together. Gradually, faintly, delicately, as it were in each other's arms, passing from the familiar room, that, that is a power of unison between souls, like love itself. The Circuit Judge Take note, passers-by, of the sharp erosions eaten in my headstone by the wind and rain, almost as if an intangible nemesis or hatred were marking scores against me, but to destroy and not preserve my memory. I in life was the circuit judge, a maker of notches, deciding cases on the points the lawyers scored, not on the right of the matter. Oh, wind and rain, leave my headstone alone, for worse than the anger of the wronged, the curses of the poor, was to lie speechless, yet with vision clear, seeing that even Hod Putt, the murderer, hanged by my sentence, was innocent in soul compared with me. Blind Jack I had fiddled all day at the county fair, but driving home, Butch Weldy and Jack McGuire, who were roaring full, made me fiddle and fiddle to the song of Susie Skinner while whipping the horses till they ran away. Blind as I was, I tried to get out as the carriage fell in the ditch and was caught in the wheels and killed. There's a blind man here with a brow as big and white as a cloud. And all we fiddlers 
from highest to lowest, writers of music and tellers of stories, sit at his feet and hear him sing of the fall of Troy. John Horace Burleson I won the prize essay at school here in the village and published a novel before I was 25. I went to the city for themes and to enrich my art. There married the banker's daughter and later became president of the bank. Always looking forward to some leisure to write an epic novel of the war. Meanwhile, friend of the great and lover of letters and host to Matthew Arnold and to Emerson. An after-dinner speaker writing essays for local clubs. At last brought here, my boyhood home, you know. Not even a little tablet in Chicago to keep my name alive. How great it is to write the single line. Roll on, thou deep and dark blue ocean. Roll. Nancy Knapp Well, don't you see, this was the way of it. We bought the farm with what he inherited, and his brothers and sisters accused him of poisoning his father's mind against the rest of them. And we never had any peace with our treasure. The murrain took the cattle, and the crops failed, and lightning struck the granary. So we mortgaged the farm to keep going, and he grew silent and was worried all the time. Then some of the neighbors refused to speak to us and took sides with his brothers and sisters, and I had no place to turn. As one may say to himself at an earlier time in life, no matter, so-and-so is my friend, or I can shake this off with a little trip to Decatur. Then the dreadfulest smells infested the rooms. So I set fire to the beds, and the old witch house went up in a roar of flame as I danced in the yard with waving arms while he wept like a freezing steer. Barry Holden The very fall, my sister Nancy Knapp set fire to the house they were trying Dr. Duvall for the murder of Zora Clemens and I sat in the court two weeks listening to every witness. It was clear he had got her in a family way and to let the child be born would not do. Well, how about me with eight children and one coming and the farm mortgaged to Thomas Rhodes? And when I got home that night, after listening to the story of the buggy ride and the finding of Zora in the ditch, the first thing I saw right there by the steps where the boys had hacked for angleworms was the hatchet. And just as I entered there was my wife standing before me big with child. She started the talk of the mortgaged farm and I killed her. State's Attorney Fallis. I, the scourge wielder, balance wrecker, smiter with whips and swords, I, Hater of the breakers of the law, I, legalist, inexorable and bitter, driving the jury to hang the madman Barry Holden, was made as one dead by light too bright for eyes, and woke to face a truth with bloody brow. Steel forceps fumbled by a doctor's hand against my boy's head as he entered life made him an idiot. I turned to books of science to care for him. That's how the world of those whose minds are sick became my work in life and all my world. Poor ruined boy, you were at last the potter, and I 
and all my deeds of charity, the vessels of your hand. Wendell P. Bloyd They first charged me with disorderly conduct, there being no statute on blasphemy. Later, they locked me up as insane, where I was beaten to death by a Catholic guard. My offense was this. I said God lied to Adam and destined him to lead the life of a fool, ignorant that there is evil in the world as well as good. And when Adam outwitted God by eating the apple and saw through the lie, God drove him out of Eden to keep him from taking the fruit of immortal life. For Christ's sake, you sensible people, here's what God himself says about it in the book of Genesis. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. A little envy, you see. To know good and evil, the all-is-good lie exposed. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden. The reason I believe God crucified his own son to get out of the wretched tangle is because it sounds just like him. Francis Turner I could not run or play in boyhood. In manhood I could only sip the cup, not drink, for scarlet fever left my heart diseased. Yet I lie here, soothed by a secret none but Mary knows. There is a garden of acacia, catalpa trees and arbors sweet with vines. There, on that afternoon in June, by Mary's side, kissing her with my soul upon my lips, it suddenly took flight. Franklin Jones If I could have lived another year, I could have finished my flying machine and become rich and famous. Hence it is fitting the workman who tried to chisel a dove for me made it look more like a chicken. For what is it all but being hatched and running about the yard to the day of the block? Save that a man has an angel's brain and sees the axe from the first. John M. Church I was attorney for the queue and the indemnity company which insured the owners of the mine. I pulled the wires with judge and jury in the upper courts to beat the claims of the crippled, the widow, and orphan, and made a fortune thereat. The Bar Association sang my praises in a high-flown resolution, and the floral tributes were many. But the rats devoured my heart, and a snake made it nest in my skull. Russian Sonia. I, born in Weimar of a mother who was French and German father, a most learned professor, orphaned at fourteen years, became a dancer, known as Russian Sonia, all up and down the boulevards of Paris, mistress betimes of sundry dukes and counts, and later of poor artists and of poets. At forty years passé, I sought New York, and met old Patrick Hummer on the boat, red-faced and hale, though turned his sixtieth year, returning after having sold a shipload of cattle in the German city Hamburg. He brought me to Spoon River, and we lived here for twenty years. They thought that we were married. This oak tree near me is the favorite haunt of blue jays chattering, chattering all the day, and why not? for my very dust is laughing for thinking of the humorous thing called life. Is a Nutter 
Doc Meyer said I had satyriasis, and Doc Hill called it leukemia. But I know what brought me here. I was 64, but strong as a man of 35 or 40. And it wasn't writing a letter a day, and it wasn't late hours, seven nights a week. And it wasn't the strain of thinking of many. And it wasn't fear or jealous dread, or the endless task of trying to fathom her wonderful mind or sympathy for the wretched life she led with her first and second husband. It was none of these that laid me low, but the clamor of daughters and threats of sons and the sneers and curses of all my kin right up to the day I sneaked to Peoria and married many in spite of them. And why do you wonder my will was made for the best and purest of women? Barney Hainsfeather if the excursion train to Peoria had just been wrecked, I might have escaped with my life. Certainly I should have escaped this place. But as it was burned as well, they mistook me for John Allen who was sent to the Hebrew Cemetery at Chicago, and John for me, so I lie here. It was bad enough to run a clothing store in this town, but to be buried here? Ugh. Pettit the poet. Seeds in a dry pod. Tick, 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 like mites in a quarrel. Faint iambics that the full breeze wakens. But the pine tree makes a symphony thereof. Triolets, villanelles, rondels, rondos, ballads by the score with the same old thought. The snows and the roses of yesterday are vanished, and what is love but a rose that fades? Life all around me here in the village, tragedy, comedy, valor and truth, courage, constancy, heroism, failure, all in the loom, and oh, what patterns! Woodlands, meadows, streams, and rivers, Blind to all of it all my life long. Triolets, villanelles, rondels, rondos. Seeds in a dry pot. Tick, 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 tick. What little iambics while Homer and Whitman roared in the pines. Pauline Barrett. Almost the shell of a woman after the surgeon's knife and almost a year to creep back into strength, till the dawn of our wedding decennial found me my seeming self again. We walked the forest together by a path of soundless moss and turf, but I could not look in your eyes, and you could not look in my eyes, for such sorrow was ours, the beginning of gray in your hair and I but a shell of myself. And what did we talk of? Sky and water, anything most to hide our thoughts. And then your gift of wild roses set on the table to grace our dinner. Poor heart, how bravely you struggled to imagine and live a remembered rapture. Then my spirit drooped as the night came on, and you left me alone in my room for a while, as you did when I was a bride, poor heart. And I looked in the mirror, and something said, One should be all dead when one is half dead, nor ever mock life, nor ever cheat love. And I did it, looking there in the mirror. 
Dear, have you ever understood? Mrs. Charles Bliss Reverend Wiley advised me not to divorce him for the sake of the children, and Judge Summers advised him the same. So we stuck to the end of the path. But two of the children thought he was right, and two of the children thought I was right. And the two who sided with him blamed me, and the two who sided with me blamed him. And they grieved for the one they sided with. And all were torn with the guilt of judging, and tortured in soul because they could not admire equally him and me. Now every gardener knows that plants grown in cellars or under stones are twisted and yellow and weak. And no mother would let her baby suck diseased milk from her breast. Yet preachers and judges advise the raising of souls where there is no sunlight, but only twilight, no warmth, but only dampness and cold. Preachers and Judges Mrs. George Reese to this generation, I would say, memorize some bit of verse of truth or beauty. It may serve a turn in your life. My husband had nothing to do with the fall of the bank. He was only cashier. The wreck was due to the president, Thomas Rhodes, and his vain, unscrupulous son. Yet my husband was sent to prison and I was left with the children to feed and clothe and school them. And I did it, and sent them forth into the world all clean and strong, and all through the wisdom of Pope the poet. Act well your part, there all the honor lies. Reverend Lemuel Wiley I preach 4,000 sermons I conducted forty revivals and baptized many converts, yet no deed of mine shines brighter in the memory of the world, and none is treasured more by me. Look how I saved the blisses from divorce and kept the children free from that disgrace, to grow up into moral men and women, happy themselves, a credit to the village. Thomas Ross, Jr. This I saw with my own eyes. A cliff swallow made her nest in a hole of the high clay bank there near Miller's Ford. But no sooner were the young hatched than a snake crawled up to the nest to devour the brood. Then the mother swallow, with swift flutterings and shrill cries, fought at the snake, blinding him with the beat of her wings until he, wriggling and rearing his head, fell backward down the bank into Spoon River and was drowned. Scarcely an hour passed until a shrike impaled the mother swallow on a thorn. As for myself, I overcame my lower nature, only to be destroyed by my brother's ambition. Reverend Abner Pete, I had no objection at all to selling my household effects at auction on the village square. It gave my beloved flock the chance to get something which had belonged to me for a memorial. 
but that trunk which was struck off to Burchard the grogkeeper. Did you know it contained the manuscripts of a lifetime of sermons? And he burned them as waste paper. Jefferson Howard My valiant fight, for I call it valiant, with my father's beliefs from old Virginia, hating slavery, but no less war. I, full of spirit, audacity, courage, thrown into life here in Spoon River, with its dominant forces drawn from New England, Republicans, Calvinists, merchants, bankers, hating me, yet fearing my arm. With wife and children heavy to carry, yet fruits of my very zest of life. Stealing odd pleasures that cost me prestige, and reaping evils I had not sown. Foe of the church with its charnel dankness, friend of the human touch of the tavern. Tangled with fates, all alien to me, deserted by hands I called my own. Then, just as I felt my giant strength short of breath, behold, my children had wound their lives in stranger gardens, and I stood alone, as I started alone. My valiant life, I died on my feet, facing the silence, facing the prospect that no one would know of the fight I made. Judge Sela Lively Suppose you stood just five feet two and had worked your way as a grocery clerk, studying law by candlelight until you became an attorney at law. And then suppose, through your diligence and regular church attendance, you became attorney for Thomas Rhodes, collecting notes and mortgages and representing all the widows in the probate court. And through it all, they jeered at your size and laughed at your clothes and your polished boots. And then suppose you became the county judge. And Jefferson Howard and Kinsey King and Harmon Whitney and all the giants who had sneered at you were forced to stand before the bar and say, Your Honor. Well, don't you think it was natural that I made it hard for them? Albert Sherding. Jonas Keene thought his lot a hard one because his children were all failures. But I know of a fate more trying than that. It is to be a failure while your children are successes. For I raised a brood of eagles who flew away at last, leaving me a crow on the abandoned bough. Then, with the ambition to prefix honorable to my name and thus to win my children's admiration, I ran for county superintendent of schools, spending my accumulations to win and lost. That fall, my daughter received first prize in Paris for her picture entitled The Old Mill. It was of the water mill before Henry Wilkin put in steam. The feeling that I was not worthy of her finished me. Jonas Keene. Why did Albert Sherding kill himself, trying to be county superintendent of schools? Blessed as he was, 
with the means of life and wonderful children, bringing him honor ere he was sixty. If even one of my boys could have run a newsstand, or one of my girls could have married a decent man, I should not have walked in the rain and jumped into bed with clothes all wet, refusing medical aid. Eugenia Todd Have any of you, passers-by, had an old tooth that was an unceasing discomfort, or a pain in the side that never quite left you, or a malignant growth that grew with time, so that even in profoundest slumber there was shadowy consciousness or the phantom of thought of the tooth, the side, the growth? Even so thwarted love or defeated ambition or a blunder in life which mixed your life hopelessly to the end will, like a tooth or a pain in the side, float through your dreams in the final sleep till perfect freedom from the earth sphere comes to you as one who wakes, healed and glad in the morning. Ye bow. They got me into the Sunday school in Spoon River and tried to get me to drop Confucius for Jesus. I could have been no worse off if I had tried to get them to drop Jesus for Confucius for without any warning as if it were a prank and sneaking up behind me, Harry Wiley, the minister's son, caved my ribs into my lungs with a blow of his fist. Now I shall never sleep with my ancestors in Pekin and no children shall worship at my grave. Washington McNeely Rich, honored by my fellow citizens, the father of many children born of a noble mother, all raised there in the great mansion house at the edge of town. Note the cedar tree on the lawn. I sent all the boys to Ann Arbor, all the girls to Rockford, the while my life went on, getting more riches and honors resting under my cedar tree at evening. The years went on. I sent the girls to Europe. I dowered them when married. I gave the boys money to start in business. They were strong children, promising as apples before the bitten places show. But John fled the country in disgrace. Jenny died in childbirth. I sat under my cedar tree. Harry killed himself after a debauch. Susan was divorced. I sat under my cedar tree. Paul was invalided from overstudy. Mary became a recluse at home for love of a man. I sat under my cedar tree. All were gone or broken-winged, or devoured by life. I sat under my cedar tree. My mate, the mother of them, was taken. I sat under my cedar tree. Till ninety years were told, O maternal earth, which rocks the fallen leaf to sleep. Paul McNeely Dear Jane, dear winsome Jane, 
How you stole in the room where I lay so ill, in your nurse's cap and linen cuffs, and took my hand and said with a smile, You are not so ill, you'll soon be well. And how the liquid thought of your eyes sank in my eyes like dew that slips into the heart of a flower. Dear Jane, the whole McNeely fortune could not have bought your care of me by day and night and night and day, nor paid for your smile, nor the warmth of your soul in your little hands laid on my brow. Jane, till the flame of life went out in the dark above the disk of night, I longed and hoped to be well again, to pillow my head on your little breast and hold you fast in a clasp of love. Did my father provide for you when he died, Jane? Dear Jane? You have been listening to part two of Chatterbox Audio Theater's production of Spoon River Anthology by Edgar Lee Masters, featuring the voices of Lauren Rachel, Kevin Reardon, David Caffey, Ashley Trevathan, Chris Cotton, Jason Hodges, Randall Hartzog, Jeffrey Staten, Greg Bowler, Rodney Rastall, Kilby Arbrough, Rachel Newsom, Joe Carolino, Jake Smith, Donald Myers, Gene Elliott, Jim Robinson, Ross Williams, TK, Joy Bishop, Renee Davis Brame, Zach Williams, Jillian Barron, John Sparks, Sam Weekly, Justin Willingham, Ashley Bug Brown, John Manis, Joe Labovich, Jeff Pawson, Chase Wages, J.T. Harrington, Christopher Tracy, Rachel Everson, Angela Wynn, Paul Brandt, Jamie Bowler, Lena Wallace-Black, Lauren Doremus osman Caroline Spasto, John Callery, John Dylan Atkins, Rick Pilon, Jova Scovo, Gary Cook, Greg Crossness, Jim Thompson, Danielle Carr, Benjamin Chang, Ron Jewell, and Mark Holder. Music by Luis Seishish. Original artwork by John Childress. Produced by Eric Sefton and Robert Arnold. Directed by Robert Arnold. This is Ashley Trevathan. The mission of Chatterbox Audio Theater is sparking imaginations through outstanding theatrical recordings. Download our shows, meet our cast and crew, and make a donation to support our work at www.chatterboxtheater.org. And that's our show. Hope you enjoyed it. It's worth pointing out that part of the goal of this project, of Chatterbox's recording of Spoon River Anthology, is to record all of the poems using different actors, uh, reading the different people in the town. So there are 244 poems total, and by the time uh, the project is done, we will have had 244 different performers down here in our studio portraying the residents of Spoon River uh, and creating a sort of community in itself. So thanks so much to the 50 people who came down here to help us record part two. I also want to say thanks for a generous donation we received recently from Dan Case. Uh, Dan is a Memphian, and as it turns out, Dan is also the grandson of Charlton Minor Lewis. Charlton Minor Lewis, you will remember, uh, was the author of the source material that we use for our adaptation of Gawain and the Green Knight. So Dan, thanks so much uh, for showing your support. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to do that work justice. Up next. Now see here, Fotheringay, what is this? Some sort of prank? Hey, oh, you're, yeah. you're asking me. George McWhorter Fotheringay is an ordinary man who suddenly discovers an extraordinary power. It's not as if I could just say to this here walking stick, you there, why not blossom with a bunch of wildflowers and have it?
I... Quickly realizing that he is out of his depth, Fotheringay searches for someone to help him save the world before he accidentally destroys it. What a power to behold, what a gift so rare. Heidi ho, what a world of possibility. What would you do if you could do anything? This is a funny, clever, satirical piece, and it is also Chatterbox's first attempt at a full-fledged musical. Rounding out our 12 shows in 12 months is our original musical adaptation of the H.G. Wells story, The Man Who Could Work Miracles. That's coming up in a few weeks. In the meantime, don't forget, everything that we have ever produced, including part one of Spoon River Anthology, is freely available on our website, chatterboxtheater.org, or through iTunes. Lots of stuff to listen to uh, while you await our next new release. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Chatterbox Audio Theater. This portion of the Mutual Audio Network is brought to you by Big Buddy's Kielbasa Barn, the biggest sausages in town. When you eat the inside, save the skin. They do double duty. Use the skin of a beef sausage as a canoe. Use the skin of a pork sausage as a silo. Use the skin of the all-meat sausage as a shelter for a family of five. Big Buddy's Kielbasa Barn, where the biggest kielbasa you've ever seen can double as a submarine. From around the world, this is the Mutual Audio Network.